What is it that we are doing as church when, as we will later in this liturgy, we confess our sins against God and our neighbor? I mostly thought of it over the years as the time for each of us to get our sins forgiven, our consciences clear, and particularly to secure that forgiveness before coming to Holy Communion. And of course, there's something rather commendable in wanting to get right with God before approaching the sacrament. But there's a problem there too, that we might start to think of Holy Communion as a reward for those who are clean, those who are righteous, or that God forgives us when we are ready. And that's a problem really, because we see Jesus breaking bread with sinners, indeed with those who will betray and abandon him. If we forget that Jesus meets us in our sinfulness and estrangement, if we forget that his offer of himself is unconditional, that the communion he offers us is the forgiveness we seek, then we are forgetting something so very important about communion. Jesus comes to us and offers himself to us, ready or not. So the idea that a formal confession and absolution is something we have to do before participating in communion is really a distortion of what communion is. And I suppose that's why the Book of Common Prayer stipulates that the confession of sin may be omitted on occasion and why it is traditional to omit the confession of sin in particular through the 50 days of Easter, as well as on other major feasts. But there's another thing about this that has bugged me, especially in recent years. Because if you, if you read the Gospels carefully, the teaching of Jesus on forgiveness seems quite clear. If you want to be forgiven, forgive others. Period. We reiterate, we, reiterate, we reiterate this teaching every time we say the Lord's Prayer. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So Jesus asks, Jesus teaches us not to ask for forgiveness without having forgiven those who have wronged us. And strangely, very strangely, our forms of confession and public worship make no mention of this, which I cannot explain or justify. I think it's a cop-out, a comfortable cop-out that has crept into the tradition and should be corrected. I think Jesus is trying to tell us that if we want forgiveness for ourselves, but not for others, not for everyone, then we really don't know what we're asking for and don't really know what forgiveness is and don't really know who we are. Forgiveness is for everyone or no one. Salvation is for everyone or no one. We are bound together, all of us. At least from God's perspective, humanity is fundamentally undivided, despite our sin, our violence, our divisions. Think of how Jesus begins his public ministry 
by seeking out the baptism of John, which was, after all, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus himself in unbroken communion with God, himself sinless, publicly seeks and undergoes this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The only way I can make sense of that is that Jesus sees himself as one of us. He identifies himself with us completely, including with our sinfulness, our messed upness, our lostness. Jesus is unattached to his own innocence and righteousness. He attaches himself to us in our sinfulness. This is quite different from the impulse we tend to have to separate ourselves from the evildoers that we see. I am not like them. But Jesus moves in the opposite direction and calls us, if we belong to him, to do the same. So when in the liturgy we make our confession of sin, I think the best way to think of it is we are confessing on behalf of the whole world, repenting and seeking forgiveness on behalf of everyone. This aligns with a passage in the first letter of Timothy. I encourage petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings to be made on behalf of all human beings. This is a good and acceptable thing before our Savior God, who intends all human beings to be saved and to come to a full knowledge of truth. So in the confession of sin, we confess our own sins, yes, but in doing so, we identify ourselves with the sins of all humanity. They are me. We refuse to be separated. And we confess on behalf of the church. We as church confess the church's failings, the sins of all Christians as our own. We refuse to be separated. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, it's a very long way of coming around to today's gospel and particularly the first part of it. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't be afraid. The kingdom is freely given. So sell everything. Give it away. God's desire is to give you all fulfillment in God's presence. And the way to enjoy that is simple. Dispossess yourself. Give it all away. Give to the poor. Luke makes it quite clear that he at least understands this teaching, that this teaching is meant to be taken quite literally. In the book of Acts, he describes the early Christian community in the direct aftermath of the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. So Jesus calls us here to embody a new way of being human, a new and different society manifesting the gift of the kingdom of God, 
an upside down celebration where the first are last and the last first, where the master is a slave and a slave the master, in which all human hierarchies of status and power are overturned and scrambled, in which we are all one with one another in God. We are called to be a visibly alternative society, an island of justice, peace, unity, and service in the midst of a greedy, violent world. Now, keeping that vision and way of life alive and going from generation to generation and century after century in this world was never going to be easy and it was never perfect. But especially beginning in the fourth century, empire made the church an offer that we found it hard to refuse. And we embarked on a path of compromise with the powers of this world, compromise with the rule of wealth, power, and violence. And so rather than a manifestation of the kingdom aligned with the poor, we became a chaplaincy to empire aligned with wealth and power. The church sold out and has been more or less entangled in that sellout ever since. Well, now perhaps you see why I felt I needed to start with talking about confession of sin. Of course, the light of Christ has kept shining in every generation in many, many holy lives. But a marriage or a supposed marriage between the gospel of Jesus and the course of power of the state was always doomed to fail and fail it did. In so many ways, we are all the offspring of that failed marriage of century after century of dishonest or deluded compromise with the powers of this world. And now we are left to sort out who we really are as Christians. It's easy for me to see the toxicity of the obscenity of Christian nationalism today and how that is a nostalgia for that failed marriage. But how has our theology been infected with that compromise of the gospel? What is our proper relation to wealth, to power, to violence, to government? to the societies in which we find ourselves? How do we, not just as individuals, but as church, recover our true identity, purpose, and calling? Everything we do to help the poor, the hungry, the marginalized, and disenfranchised is good, is beautiful. But let's not kid ourselves. Jesus calls us further. Our differentials of wealth, power, and status divide us from one another, and so keep us from the kingdom that God delights to bestow upon us. What would it look like for us as church to faithfully respond to Christ's call to claim the free gift of the kingdom by way of dispossession? I really don't know where to start, except with confessing the sins and failings of the church as our own as my own, 
as one of the older forms of confession says it, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. And I don't know exactly where we go from here, but I think of the reading from Hebrews today, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. Like Abraham, we are being called to a different place. And we really don't know the way, except of course, we do. Christ himself is the way. And Christ is in our midst to guide us and sustain us. And this Eucharist that we are celebrating right now is both our sustenance on the way and the actual presence among us of the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I would say that the more we are at home in the Eucharist, this pouring out of the life of God for all, the more we confess, as Hebrews says, that we are strangers and foreigners in this world, seeking a homeland, a better country, a heavenly one. That heavenly country is here. Heavenly doesn't just mean after we die, though of course it includes that. It means the life that God desires for us, present with us and among us here and now, on earth as in heaven, the light of the world. Jesus came to bring that life, that city, that country to earth. He gives us the picture today of a group of servants or slaves eagerly waiting, alert through the night because their master is coming. A master who, when he arrives, himself takes the role of a slave and serves a feast for those who are watching for him. It's a delightfully topsy-turvy image and an image of fellowship, of community, of celebration, of communion, of love, love that delights in serving. And Jesus gives us another picture as well, another picture of a household, but this time we only see a solitary figure, the master of the household, a person of some wealth and power, a person that would expect to be served rather than to serve. And he seems to be all alone. And again, someone is coming, but now it's a thief who will arrive unexpectedly to despoil him of his property. This one is a picture of separation, anxiety, loneliness, where wealth is inseparable from impending loss. So Jesus leaves us with the question, in which picture will we be found?